1: I think you're a cruel, selfish, heartless man. You're also blind, stupid, and inconsiderate. I deserve to be treated an awful
0: lot better than you've treated me, and you know what? So does Dorothy. And before you start shirking your responsibility for the way that you treat people and Blaming it on your mother and your so-called neurosis. Let me tell you, the reason you have two women on a string is that flatters your (laughs) disgusting. Blaming it on your mother and your so-called neurosis. Blaming it on your mother and your so-called neurosis. Let me tell you, the reason you have two women on a string is that flatters your disgusting ego.
1: It's always like this. Sooner or later, my mother comes into it.
2: The stars always winking and blinking above. What makes a fella start thinking of falling in love? It's not the season, the reason is plain
1: as the moon. It's just Elmer's turn. Once upon a time, there was a woman who lived in London, and her name was Phyllis Elmer, but her real name was Elsie. I've set out a series of her photographs here on the table in front of me. Like playing cards in a hand of poker. Is this a royal straight flush or an ordinary straight faced bluff? There's the young flapper posed in front of a trompe loeil backdrop. The 70 year old standing with her husband by a fireplace in St. John's. The pictures of bombed out London marked passed by the censor. She kept everything diaries, dance cards, the torn up photo of a lover. She kept the pieces. The wristwatch of the Australian aviator, the man she might have married if he hadn't been shot down over the English Channel. The ration book, the pressed flower corsage, the fortune cookie.
0: My fortune, you will be a princess. You'll marry a prince and live happily ever after.
1: Well, all it really says is, you will have good luck in your personal affairs.
3: I don't think it ever came across to us, I mean, as children, that Auntie Elsie was embroidering the facts. We just purely
4: had to go by what Mum told us about her, didn't we?
3: Poor thing was probably hampered, wasn't she, in those days, by all her circumstances. She, she, she obviously had the, the intelligence and the looks and the, and the social ability. The one thing she lacked, unfortunately, was the background so she, I suppose she had to invent it. I wonder where she got it from, which of her parents?
5: I think the most frightening was the buzz bombs. They were terrifying. You could hear them coming. You couldn't mistake it. It was a very clear sound. And uh, when the engine stopped... You knew... They cut out. They cut out. When you don't hear them is when they're about to drop. Yeah. If you heard it stop, as they it were... It. That's all... all was to it? It was all right all the time you heard them going. But when they stopped, if it was anywhere near you, well, you knew you were going to get it.
1: It was just such a bomb, she said, that blew up her past. Killed both her parents, she said.
4: <laughs> how could. How, why would she say that?
1: Leaving her an only child.
4: I suppose she didn't like them to know that we were her family.
1: 32 years old, blonde, single, in London, in World War II.
4: And yet we weren't common.
1: With no family to trace her footsteps back.
4: We weren't nasty people. We weren't. We we're just an ordinary little working class. We didn't know that you never knew anything about us all these years. She just didn't know what to do about us. And that was it.
0: I don't think you ever allow yourself to empathise with how I feel. Over and over you ask for my patience. You say you're going to be weird because of her or because of the documentary or because of her again or because of a new documentary and I accept that. And I wait. Well, I'm sick of waiting.
1: Excuse me, I'm looking for number 25, Gwendower Road.
6: Uh, oh, Gwenda? Uh, Gwenda? Yes. Oh, that, Gwenda, wait a minute.
1: What I'm looking for, this was the address of a woman I'm, I'm researching, a woman who lived here in the 40s at number 25, Gwendoor Road.
6: Yes. It's, it's, see, it's as if it
1: should be there, you yes,
6: see. Well, those were all bombed. I mean, they, those have been like that for 50 years. That, that is not a natural green place. It's grown up since the bombing and we had what you call it housing on it.
1: Oh, um, because she lived there in, I think, the late 1930s, early 1940s, perhaps yes, 1940, 41. Phyllis Elmer.
6: I've lived here for 30 years, but I know quite a lot of people round about.
1: February 14th, 1939. Dear Miss Elmer, further to our recent interview. At the moment, I see no great scope for you on the exhibition promotion side of our business, but I am prepared to start you at £5 per week on the stand-fitting side with promise of an increase immediately you make good on it. If you accept, the sooner you can commence work with us, the better. Yours faithfully, Ewart you Watson Exhibitions Limited, 19 Charing Cross Road. I mean, she would have had
7: to have started work at about the age of 14. I mean, very few girls stayed on at school beyond the age of 14. And since the majority of families were hard up, I mean, she had to get out to work and get a job very quickly. And the actual material expectations of, of a young, intelligent working-class woman in the 1930s, were, were, were very limited.
4: Oh, she was wonderful,
7: my sister. She
4: was about 19 when she left home. I was only a very young child then. But my dad, I think he adored her. He always thought of Elsie's, But he felt he didn't fit in, you see. She had these friends that were... So they were definitely they were above us. She, she was. She had a good life. She made herself a good life and met nice people. And we were just we were just ordinary working class people.
1: Was that why she left home? Do you think to to better herself?
4: Oh yes, definitely. She wanted to be something better than that. To be staying at home and getting married to someone, you know, some local boy. Oh no, she didn't want that. I don't know where she got it from. I don't know, honestly. It must have been the family somewhere. Take
6: what you do. It's the way how she do it. Take
8: what you do. It's the way how she do it. Take what you do. It's the way how she do it. That's what gets me through. Mama, mama,
1: We are interrupting our programmes to bring you a newsletter. The following official communique has been issued from 10 Downing Street. At 9am this morning the in berlin sunday september
0: 3rd 1939 war declared
4: 11:15 air raid
0: 11:30 i felt someone pulling me out of bed and i
9: heard the sirens that was mother quick she said there's an air raid you know the war is just been declared she said there's planes overhead so we got out, and we all went out in the garden and looked and watched. You know, we didn't go into any shelters or anything.
1: Look, look, look at those. Oh, yes, boys. Oh, oh, look, look at the behind, behind them. Millions of
2: them. The, 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 the Oh, yes, yeah. there's another one.
8: I think there are bombers.
2: Too. Look at That's their, yes, there are. They're German bombers. But look at that. There's another one. You're going to behind that cloud. Behind the cloud, look. It's about 286.
0: Bomber crashed 12.30. I crashed, one o'clock. Injured face and right leg, taken to Hampstead Hospital, confined to bed. Well, I was very excited
10: when the war started. Yes, I remember did. my mother crying yeah. and my father swearing, and I remember thinking, what's wrong with them being upset like that? It was, like that? To it was exciting, going to be exciting.
9: This went on, you know, I mean, we every night you know, we used to have raids, you know, it was like but mum and I used to sleep underneath the table in the dining room because you felt safe underneath something you
8: know? and all I could hear was the ak ack guns going off, and big, big guns we had <laughs> you know, I, I, I said I can't do this, I cannot be enclosed and can't see what's going on here I'll go mad And so I joined as an air raid warden.
9: I was in the civil defence, the ARP. I mean, the civil defence was big in London. But we, I mean, we we worked hard because you had long shifts and a lot of burned people that were burned because they dropped the phosphorus bombs.
11: I went in the army because I felt that I wanted to fight for the country. We were with the heavy ACAC, 3.7s and 4.6 guns. I was a sergeant in charge of about 100 girls. We used to plot the planes coming in.
10: Well, of course, it wasn't, it wasn't normal living by any means. We, uh, I suppose we really ran on adrenaline.
11: Yeah, it was a funny kind of life to lead, well away from your parents and, um, well, you just didn't know whether you would be here the next
8: week.
0: saturday september 16th allowed to go home from hospital but limping with much pain quite alone
2: london pride has been handed down to us london pride is a flower that's free london pride means our own dear town to us and our pride it forever will be are we here well it's number 27 want to come up for a cigarette and a drink
9: oh really you must be awfully tired
2: no i'm not come see my room i've only had a place of my own for a week it's a new toy saturday
0: september 23rd petrol rations started had dinner with don after pictures saw
7: the spy in black
1: well this is jolly
11: sit down i'll get your
2: drink thanks
7: the imaginative possibilities of growing up as a young woman, a working-class woman in the 1930s, were huge.
6: Say
2: when. Oh, when, when?
7: They were reading about romance, they were going to the movies and imagining lives very, very different from their mothers. If you think of the, um, I don't know, Jean Harlow or Marlena Dietrich, the heroines of the 30s, they weren't exactly domestic women, and they weren't domestic romances.
3: Would you be shocked if I put on something more comfortable?
1: I'll try to survive.
7: And the other very important thing was that this was the generation that was growing up with contraceptives, which were cheap and available. And you could imagine a life as a woman without a child every year. That was the absolutely crucial thing, I think.
1: I want to be
2: free. I want to be gay and have fun. Life's short. And I want to live while I'm alive. That's the way I feel, too. Hey, lady, when the day is dawning, See the policeman yawning on this lonely I think I'd better go. Lucky hey I really should. Hear your footsteps echo in the empty street
0: Tuesday, Bill. Wednesday, Maurice. Thursday, Ernest. Friday, dawn. Awful evening. Saturday, lunch with F.H., Sunday, lunch with Edgar, concert with Bill, dinner with F.H. Proposal of marriage from F.H.
2: Every blitz your resistance toughening From the ritz to the anchor and
1: clown.
2: Nothing ever could override The
1: pride
2: of London
1: town
0: Wednesday, September 25th, 1940. My birthday. Flowers arrived from Basel. Lunch with Herbert at Scott's. Missed Ernest at 4.30. House evacuated. Stayed in Hotel Queen. Dinner with champagne. Slept on settee there. Many bombs. Nearby windows broken.
6: you seen that one before?
1: No. No.
6: Now, I think that's just before your dad uh, went off to war.
1: So that's... uh, Uh,
6: That's Toby, uh,
8: the Newfoundland
6: dog. And I remember standing very proudly on the front steps while uh, dad took the picture. Is that you there? Yes. But it's not Mm. so long ago, Christopher. I mean, uh, we're talking 50... 55 years ago when he went away and 50 years ago when he came back. So it's... um, The snap... The memories are snapshots. They're not a moving picture.
1: Well, give me another snapshot.
6: Um... I I remember... um, I remember the day he went off to war because I remember the men marching down Long's Hill. I guess I was five and I remember standing on the sidewalk watching Lewis and I had a red, uh, a red coat with a, a piece of red and white ribbon somewhere in the front line of a rank of eight or ten across. And he had a a herringbone, tweed coat, with a belt. And he looked really quite smashing. But I don't think when my brother went off to war that I really had any sense of the danger. Just the feeling of of loss and, as I say, the anxiety that it caused within the family. And it seemed to me to be such a huge crowd.
1: Young Newfoundlanders. Young
6: Newfoundlanders, yes, marching away together.
0: October first, nineteen forty. Murray called at four forty and took me to a picture, Gone with the Wind. Dinner and eleven o'clock on to Paradise Club with Veronica and Willie. Home together for late meal. We lay on top of bed fully clothed until the telephone rang. Feel terribly in love with Murray. Wednesday, seven o'clock. Captain Basil Smythe. Dinner dance. Heard Nightingale at 2 a.m. in Barclay Square. Marvellous evening. She just had that way with her, dear, like
4: some girls do. And some girls are attractive to men, and no doubt
0: about it, she's very attractive, your mother. Thursday, met French officer. Dinner should have been at French club, but this place bombed. Very serious air raids all night. Fires burning. Renée stayed. Left at 5.30 in the morning. Oh, yes, it was a romantic time.
8: You see, you were young. And, um,
0: well. David on leave, walked in park, lunch at Silver Grill, supper dance at Romero's, home at half three in the morning.
10: It was all great excitement, meeting people that we would never have known. People from New Zealand and Canada and Newfoundland and Australia... All the dances that you went to, you met all these kind of people.
5: The whole world was sort of stirred up like a great big stew, and everybody was
10: somewhere different and not, you know, doing things that they never expected to do. And there were ten guys to one girl. I mean, if somebody said to me, You can live at any period that you like, I would have lived, been that age, and gone through exactly what, what, what I did then.
9: You lived your life, in case you weren't there next day. Why worry about tomorrow? Might not be here.
8: BBC Home Service. Good morning, everybody. Here is the first news bulletin for today, and this is Alan Howland reading it. German air attacks on this country last night were widespread but
1: not heavy.
0: Saturday, October 5th, up at half nine. David is still asleep. (laughs) Did shopping and tea at home.
1: 642, can I help you? Yes, I hope so. I'm calling from Canada. And I'm researching the Second World War.
0: Okay. At half six, went to overseas club with Davity.
1: And I have the wristwatch of an Australian flyer who was shot down over the English Channel during the war. Okay.
0: Bombs dropped very close by as we tried to leave.
1: And there's a number and three letters engraved on the back. Right. And I'm wondering if you can tell me what they might mean
0: waited for a quiet period and went home with Davidy after club people had been worrying us to go to the shelter.
1: Fine. What three letters are they? A-T-P. A-T-P. Do you know the name of this part, this, this fighter at all? This... Yes, his name was David Fletcher, so it's not his, not his initials. No.
0: D leaves at 12 Monday from St Pancras Station, or what is left of it...
1: Okay, um, look, you'd have to leave it with me. I'd have to do some looking for you. I'll have to, I've got a book here on, um, on military abbreviations. If you'd like to give me a ring, probably about four o'clock this afternoon.
0: Sunday, November 23rd. David phoned and was so very sweet. Nearly proposed.
1: What, what are the letters, actually? A-T-P.
2: A-T-P. Um. Yes, that's
4: something Timepieces. Hold on a moment, let me just check this for you. I'll keep you mum.
2: This is the BBC Home Service. Here is the news. Hello, Hello, sorry to capture. you.
11: Answer, huh? uh, yes, it's army timepiece. Although the fact that a flyer had it obviously doesn't make any difference in the sense that it's a military issue watch. So that means army timepiece, the, the War Department
8: mark.
1: Thank you very much. Okay, good. Glad to
8: have helped. Thank you. Bye-bye. The enemy aircraft have been reported over towns on the south coast, the west of England, the north midlands and the north west, as well as over the London area.
0: Monday, December 22nd, 1941. Up at 7.30 for breakfast. Nine o'clock,
1: heard radio news.
0: Aircraft of the Coastal Command last night
1: attacked objectives at St. Nazar. One of these aircraft is missing.
0: One o'clock. Received wire. Post Office Telegram, Priority 43, December 22nd, 1941. Miss P. Elmer, 27 Linton Court, Holland Park 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 Avenue, Avenue,
1: London West 11. Regret inform you that Flight Lieutenant David James Fletcher is missing and is believed to have lost his life as a result of air operations on the 21st December. Officer Commanding, 201 Squadron.
0: Tuesday, January 6th, 1942. They've given me David's wristwatch. Still on his arm when they pulled him out of the channel. Stopped dead at a quarter to four. Like him. ATP 55263, it says on the case. Swiss made. Stainless steel back. Heavy little things. had it repaired. Life goes on. 5th, Tiny came and took me to the Clarendon for a lovely meal with Burgundy, home by half ten and then to bed. He's really grand. Three mm It's
4: a bit of a nasty thing to say, I suppose, but all those uniformed men, I mean, who
0: the devil were they all? She seemed to have a thing about uniform, didn't she? Lieutenant Paul Irwin called to take me to show Doctor's Dilemma, Dinner at Casa Pepe, and walked all the way home. At 1.15, Murray phoned and came by, talked and then bed. When? Mm, mm. <laughs>
4: she did have a whale of a time. Oh, I your mother got married at all.
0: Saturday, June 4th, 1942. We all went out for dinner on Slough Road. Got rid of John with great difficulty. He came back and disconnected the doorbell. But Tiny returned with key, as arranged and without incident. Two mm Grand. Monday, July 13th, 5.30, met Captain Lewis Brooks at the Cumberland. Talked in bar and later in the lounge. Very serious. Then home by taxi. Left at the door. Kissed me on cheek. <laughs> He's very sweet and seems to like me. I hope so.
9: He was a bombardier, I think, when I met him. <gasps> beautiful, curly hair, bit foxy, beautiful curly hair. And tall, nice-looking man, you yeah
5: he was very quiet he's still very quiet and had a moustache and it didn't suit him at all and somebody said to me well what do you think about him I said well I suppose he wouldn't be too bad without that dead mouse
8: under his nose he came from behind me and asked me to dance and he had Newfoundland flashes up on his shoulder the rest of the of the uh, station were all Canada flashes on the shoulder but this man had Newfoundland on he said well
0: it's a I come from a country. It's Newfoundland. Monday, July 13th. 5.30, met Captain Lewis at the Cumberland. Proposed marriage in taxi to Café Royale. Talked for a long while, and he confirmed his love for me. Did not leave until the early hours. Very disturbed, but happy night. Newfoundland sailor. Part two in this radio series by Dr. Thomas Wood, introducing Commonwealth troops stationed here
11: aiding with the war effort. And here is Dr. Thomas Wood.
2: On my right is Captain Lewis Brooks of the Newfoundland Liaison Staff. On my left is Corporal Tony Conrad, now of the Canadian Army. What do you say, Captain, if I asked you what's the song above all others that would bring me from then right into this very
1: room. Well, Doc, I guess it's the uh, Ryan's and the pitman. What do you think, Tony? Is that the one where uh, will and will roll, Captain? Sure, that's it. Oh, boy, let her go, Captain. She's a dandy. Well, sure, rant and roll all together. We'll
3: rant
5: and we'll I remember telling some of the wafts, that a Newfoundlander was coming to meet me. Newfoundlander? Well, what's he like? I said, "What? what do you think he's like? Ordinary. How does he speak? I said, What like we speak. He he speaks English. Well, they couldn't believe that. So I told him where we would meet outside the front of Thames House, which was MAP then. And the entire unit walked out the front door and in the back so that they could see Alistair and see what a Newfoundlander looked like. (laughs)
3: You know how English people mix like we mix Australians and New Zealanders. We we used to. perhaps we don't so much now, but we used to, didn't we? And you mix Americans and Canadians. Sorry, (laughs) Newfoundland. And not forgetting that English people had only ever seen pictures of America on Hollywood screens and things. And you you hear the accent, which we wouldn't have been able to differentiate. We would think of you as American... In your mind, it's all associated with riches, isn't it, and 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 good living. When Bob told me, well, I live in Newfoundland,
10: you know where Newfoundland is? I expected it to be like the cowboy movies with kind of uh, fences outside of pubs that had swinging doors <laughs> that you tied horses up to. <laughs> that was as much as I knew. What kind of
11: song did you sing? Well, uh, the...
2: The squid jigging grounds is one. All about the squid. That's us swell shoot.
0: Four o'clock met Herbert Masterson at the Grosvenor for tea dance. Met Lewis on the way. He was upset. Herbert proposed at the bus stop. Arranged to see Ring tomorrow. We always got the impression
3: she must have turned down hundreds, you know, Barbara Cartland, that kind of thing, hundreds of suitors and... Well, perhaps she did. I mean, I mean, obviously the men's found her very attractive, but maybe she couldn't get them quite as far as the altar if they realised that her background wasn't the same as theirs. Because the families would would have... I mean, supposing she'd met up with the, I don't know, Earl of Strathmore or something or other, um, that would be fine, him taking her back to the castle, wouldn't it? The Baronial Hall. But if he wanted to go back to her place... So it would be the laundry at Caxton Road.
1: <laughs> so you'd by, by, by then marrying out of the country? The, wouldn't, wouldn't know, would they? She could
4: fool the friends over there, couldn't she? She was a stranger to them. They would really think that she was a lady of Newfoundland. Mm. But we'd all know her over here. She was no first lady, so she wouldn't be able to keep it out, would she?
0: Sunday, November 8th engagement with Herbert broken off terrible quarrels said dreadful things feel relieved that it is all over and I am free stayed home alone all day then phoned Lewis
11: that's
4: what I can remember of my, my sister
1: let me see the wedding invitation uh, I
4: I don't know if we got one of these. If we did, my sister's got it.
1: Read it. Um, the yeah. pleasure,
0: of pleasure of your company is requested at the marriage of Phyllis, daughter of the late Mr. and Mrs. P.A. Elmer and Captain Lewis R. Brooks. No,
4: he wasn't, you see. That was what hurt him so. I remember now, because he wasn't the late. He was alive. You see what she would do. That's very sad. I remember this now, and how hurt she was about it. Why did she? She said, "Why did she say I was?" You know. But what could he say about it? And that's why we didn't go to reception. I know now. I remember now, because she didn't want to. I mean, how could she introduce him as her father? And yet, my dad was a good old dad.
1: Why would she do that?
4: Yeah, she didn't want them to know her family.
0: This whole situation is sick. So take some responsibility. Say it to yourself a few times. I am making another human being miserable. I don't know if my saying this is going to make any difference at all. You're in denial anyway. And I've had it.
1: You need to see a therapist.
2: So, I guess the moral of the story is you got recruited in that family into the marriage instead of being able to be a kid in that family. Let's think about that for a minute. Why wouldn't you leave?
1: Well, where would I go? I, there were, I didn't have any other family. I mean, my mother always said that her family was dead, which wasn't true. I learned in later life. But, I, I mean, as a child, I didn't know. My father's family... Um. She was estranged from them. Something had happened when I was a little kid, when she'd first um, stepped off the boat here. I I don't really know what it was. So I couldn't go to aunt so-and-so or uncle so-and-so. Where would I go if I did run away?
2: Interesting. So leaving was not a... Ending relationships was not an option you had much experience with.
6: either Harvey Company's Wharf or very near there. I guess I was about ten, yes. Mm. I remember jumping up and down with excitement
8: and seeing the ship come in. And we could hear the band playing Here Comes the Brides. Bride. Uh, that was funny because some of us had been married for years. <laughs> I was married a year and a half and then there were people there with babies and <laughs> so here come the brides.
6: And your mother wore a hat. I remember her coming off the ship in high heels and a hat and I thought this was probably the most glamorous thing I'd ever seen.
8: She looked down on the wharf and everybody had gone and been greeted and there was just this one man standing there and she looked and she said, Oh my God, I mean, is this... <laughs> I'm going home kind of thing, you know? <laughs> because it looks so... Different in civilian clothing.
6: Fancy coming off a ship in in high heels and a hat. It wasn't like the girl down the street.
5: We couldn't have been the sort of people they expected their sons and brothers to marry and bring home, because we had been made so different with the war that we weren't, what shall I say, charming daughters-in-law.
6: We always had the feeling that your mother was very disappointed in the type of family that she came out to, that we didn't quite live up to what perhaps she had either Hoped was landed gentry, or had been led to believe was landed gentry. Although I, I I don't know, but we always felt there was that sense of not quite being what she was either used to or or expected us to be.
11: They didn't really understand, I don't think, what it was, what we expected.
1: Is it because they hadn't been through the war? I think that
11: was a lot of it. No, they didn't fear for their life every night. But, no, all the dreams that we had that we were going to make a new life and it was going to be splendid, they all went. No, Newfoundland wasn't for me. It wasn't that dream. I think the first fortnight, I knew it couldn't be.
0: Monday, April 1st, 1946. Very cold and snow. Stayed in all day. Tuesday, April 2nd. Stayed in all day. Very cold and slushy. Snow everywhere. Wednesday, April 3rd. Stayed in all day. Thursday, April 4th. Stayed in all day. Friday, April 5th. Rain, hail, Ice, snow, and slush everywhere. Stayed in all day. Wednesday, May 2nd, 1946. They accuse me of not trying to like people here. Gosh, but I feel a long way from home now. How I hate it here. But who cares how I feel? Having to live under such awful conditions and the weather so terribly bleak, what can they expect?
10: This homesickness, I think, was also a part of grieving. And I think it was kind of a, a post-traumatic experience that we were having that nobody knew about or nobody realised. I don't think it was the quite as bad as we thought and how we blamed Newfoundland and we blamed people and that for it. I think we were going through what they now call a post-traumatic syndrome of the war and leaving home and that kind of thing. I really do. But because we didn't... It wasn't recognised then, was it? Nothing like that was
11: recognised. And, you know, there were always family arguments. And nobody really understood how you felt. They didn't understand why... I wanted to go home. They didn't understand why I wasn't happy. I was very sad.
1: I felt if they'd separated, I guess, they would have... uh, They what? If they'd separated, I think they couldn't have been any worse off. Mm. But they stayed together for me. Is that what
2: they told
1: you? Yeah. Well, that's what my mother told me.
2: Your mom said that. hmm if it wasn't for you, I'd be gone.
1: Oh, yeah, my mother used to say if it wasn't for me, she would be gone back to England.
2: So the eight-year-old says, I'd never do this. I'd never continually threaten to leave a relationship. I guess. Clever shit. So you promised yourself that you'd never keep this threat of abandonment going, and so you never do. Leave a relationship. Interesting little twist, though.
0: I'm desperately unhappy. No future. No present.
2: If you leave a relationship, you're injuring somebody else.
0: I am keen for divorce.
2: So do you think, it, how would you have gotten by if she had left? If she had stopped all the talk and left?
0: To ship back with me. Sewing machine. Gramophone with records. I wonder. Coffee table. I imagine. Radio. I would be more like
1: some of my friends who boxes. are able to... I mean, I, I... I know lots of people who are divorced.
0: Clothes and shoes.
1: Who don't exactly torture themselves about it. Seems to be something that they can handle and live through. I think I'd be more like that.
2: I gotta quit for tonight. Have you been listening to your tapes in between sessions?
0: You asked for my commitment. You expected me to be committed to you through all of this crap, and you're annoyed with me now because I can't do that? I can't go on any longer like this. It's over.
2: It's over. Goodbye. (sniffs) All <sniffs> right.